0: And, hey, i got to do something to get you cheering. I can't have you booing as I come out. I mean, seriously, Cord. But, no, and and super grateful for the pastors we have here. Cord's amazing. Um, I've been teaching him some things, trying to help bring some youthfulness out in Cord. So if he shows up in a pair of flip-flops in two weeks, don't blame me. It's fine. It's fine. But like Cord said, I, I'm, uh, my name's Jason, I'm, I'm the new guy. I don't know how much longer I can pull that card, uh, being the new guy, but I'm the new guy. I'm our discipleship pastor. And um, man, just so grateful to be here at Tomoka. My wife's a part of this church. She's been on staff here for a few years. And so, so grateful to serve with her and raise our boys here. And it really is a special place. It's a church that, that truly loves Jesus. And so um, I gotta say, it's above all, it's, it's just surreal for me to, to call Florida home. You know, originally I'm born and raised in Indiana and, and I don't raise that banner like some of the other pastors on staff to be renamed nameless. Um, Indiana's great, but Indiana's good for one thing and one thing only. And it's the single greatest race ever in the history of mankind held on Memorial Day weekend, the Indianapolis 500. So not basketball like Shane would say. But anyway, we moved down here about six years ago and just we're grateful to call this place home. Now, I will say, I want to start out this way that it is, it's always surreal for me every time I get to preach God's word. If I'm honest with you, I didn't, um, I didn't grow up so much in the church. I didn't grow up in a youth group and, and go right into seminary and, and, and set out for this. In fact, I was kind of way on the other direction. Um, you know, I drove race cars for 24 years and racing was like the center point of my life. Um, had a radical encounter with the Lord. He totally just messed my life up in a good way and things shifted and here I am on stage. And so it's always surreal when I get to to talk about this book and I get to talk about Jesus in front of other people. Um, and, you know, really it comes down to from the moment I believed, you know, my life has just continually shifted. And so tonight is, you know, a little special for me, if I'm honest. You, you, you guys are my first people here that I've got to preach God's word to. And and so you're special. And so, you know, cord and and the way cord is, was not helpful at all. I'm grateful he gave me this opportunity, but I said, okay, great. What are we in a series? What book? What do you, what do you want from me? Um, And he goes, ah, just preach whatever you want. Thanks cord. You know, it's a big book with, with a lot of stuff. And, um, and so I figured tonight we're going to spend some time um, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I've been wrestling with. You know, I, 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 for the last couple of months, God's been doing some work in my heart and my life, and I figure, well, I'm just going to share with you where I'm at. Maybe God will, will use that in your life. Maybe He'll stir your heart, or maybe you're just going to be rock stars at this and everything's fine. But either way, we're going to take a look at the big idea of what it means to believe in something, what it means to believe something as truth. Like, what is belief? truly mean in our lives? You know, I, I got a men's group that I, I meet with weekly, and we've been going through the book of John for a long time, and and this idea of belief kept coming up. And, and, and right in, in, in 14 verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, and believe also in me. So So what does it mean to believe? At our core, like at the depths of our heart. I don't mean believe in aliens or the tooth fairy. Like, like really believe. And and what's been challenging me about this is the relationship of what we believe and what that means for our lives and how we live a life in light of those beliefs. Like another way to say it is, is how belief drives action. Belief drives action. We live out ultimately what we believe. Not what we say, not what we think, but what we believe. Our response in life is the direct result of the truths we believe in. And so, you know, I was thinking about it. It it, it could get a little heavy. I'm just going to be honest with you. It could get a little heavy. So we're going to start out and have a little bit of fun first. I don't want to be in the way of the TV. Um, But this is a time for crowd participation. We're going to be friends here. We're going to have a great relationship so I'm going to need you to be honest with me. I'm going to be honest with you. We're going to be honest with each other. We're just a family. We're brothers and sisters. We're, we're fine. So I'm going to need you to be honest and participate. And we're going to go through a couple things. And I, I want to know what you believe about what I'm going to show you. So we're going to start out. I'm going to throw you an easy one. What do you believe about this guy? Show of hands. How many of you believed that he existed? Okay. Okay. Now... If you still believe he exists, keep your hands up. Okay, all right, your, your secret's safe with me. Now, the reason why I show you that is because the intent behind the belief in this guy is what? So that we behave, right? You better not cry, you better not pout, right? It's the, we, we tell our kids this, we, we kind of lie to our kids about this to get them to behave for at least a month leading up for Christmas. Belief leads to action, Right? Belief in Santa, if you disbehave, no presence. Okay, another one. Gum. How many of you believed or still believe that when you swallow your gum, it stays in your stomach for seven years? Okay. Okay. My wife and I, we still debate this. And I actually did research. It's a fable. It doesn't stay in your stomach for seven years. But we believed it, so it kept us from swallowing gum. Right? We believed led to action. Now, this next one's a little gross, but it is what it is. Just bear with me. Okay. A show of hands. How many of you were told that if you pee in a pool, it changes colors? Okay. Okay. So I've swam in a lot of pools in my day and I have yet to see one change colors. So that's, I don't know if this exists or not, but I'm sure grateful for whoever put that belief out there because hopefully it's kept some some kids peeing in the pool. Now, you know, another, obviously a big area of this is superstitions, superstitions. And, you know, I I got a couple easy ones for you. What about this, this piece of wood? How many of you knock on wood? Okay. Knock on wood. You know, the idea that if you say something or you want something to happen or don't want it, you you knock on wood. I actually asked some of our staff, what are some of the beliefs they had growing up and One, to be Remain Nameless, who's from Indiana, believed that if you ate and went swimming, you would drown. You would drown. Um, Another believed that if you ate Pop Rocks and drank Mountain Dew, your head would explode. (laughs) So it kept them from eating Pop Rocks and Mountain Dew. Um, You know, even I, like when I was racing, I had a belief, and, and this is pretty standard in racing. A lot of people believe this, so I'm not that strange, that you can't have green in your pits. Green is bad luck. Green means you're going to crash. If there's green in your pits, it's no bueno, right? It's not good. And so I believed in that. Same with peanuts. And everybody in my pit knew about it and always did. Well, I had one of the most horrendous crashes of my career. I was fine. The car was not. It was thrown in the trash. It was complete throwaway. It was bad. I get back to the pit and the first thing I see is my lovely, sweet, beautiful bride, With a green pendant on her necklace. I still haven't let her live that one down. But but at the end of the day, I truly believed, of course it's not true, right? I don't I believe that the green in the pit meant that I crashed my car, but in reality that's it was my stupidity that crashed the car. Now now these are kind of innocent and silly, but at the end of the day, belief leads to action. So let me let me get a little more serious. What about COVID? What about COVID? What, you believe about, what do you believe about COVID? Now, I, I recognize it's probably controversial just by asking that question, but what you believed about COVID certainly directed how you've lived your life over these last couple of years. What do you believe about God and who he is? Do you believe he's a good father or an angry God? What do you believe about God? And how do you live in light of those beliefs? Or we can get even more challenging. What do you believe about God when the doctor calls and they got to do a biopsy because they don't like what they see? What do you believe about God when it's 20 weeks into the ultrasound and the doctors can't find a heartbeat? What do you believe about God when the phone rings and there's been an accident? Or what do you believe about God when the divorce papers are in your hands? I mean, the world isn't short of giving us opportunities that reveal what we truly believe about God. And how we respond is a reflection of the truth we believe. Belief drives behavior. And so God, I think God, obviously God created us. He knew this was going to be an issue for us. And so he has a lot to say about this big idea of belief. You know, I like to nerd out sometimes on, on scripture and facts. And, and in, in the Old Testament, the word believe shows up 34 times. In the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it shows up 137 times. So a radical shift. But then, even out of that 137 times in the book of John, it shows up 98 times. I think he's trying to hammer home a point. And so tonight we're gonna we're gonna jump in. Um, if you got your Bibles or your phones, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at John 14. Now, John 14, um, it's it's really the night of Jesus's arrest. It's called his final discourse. It's kind of his first sermon or his first his last sermon. It's it's really um, 14 through 17 is probably some of my most favorite pieces of scripture. It is amazing when you really dive into it. Now, for context sake, just so you know where we are in the storyline, John 14 is right after John 13. Okay, good. Five of you are still awake. Awesome. I'm doing good. So so John 13. Now, John 13 is important because that's where the Last Supper happened, right? That's where Jesus instituted communion, you know, it's where Jesus, he, he got down and he washed the disciples' feet. And then right after that, sent Judas out to betray him. Which, that's crazy to think about, right? That Jesus washed Judas' feet and then sent him out to betray him. But that's another deal for another day. And then lastly, you know, that it's also where Peter and Jesus kind of had that interesting exchange. Where Peter was like, I'm going to follow you to death. I'm by your side. I got you. And Jesus said, come on, bro. You're going to bail on me when the rooster crows three times. Um, Just a a, a influential moment in all their lives, and so we go into John to John 14, and it's important. It's important to recognize because John 14 is a is a massive turning point in Jesus's ministry. Massive turning point, you know. And so, you know, make sure you look at this for yourself. Jesus, he starts out, "Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me." That in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, I could probably just camp out right there on verse one, right? Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. How many of us in the room could use some of that action today, right? Like, let not your hearts be troubled. Now you can hear that one of two ways, right? You can hear that as as an angry God as a command of let not your don't be worrying, no stress, or you can hear that as a loving father. Quit worrying. I got you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, and in the context of scripture, what he's saying to the disciples in that moment is things are about to go south. Things are going to get bad. It's going to get pretty rough around here, but trust me, I got a plan and here's how. Believe. Believe. Believe in God. Believe in me. Belief is our choice. Belief is our choice. We can choose to believe in whatever is falling apart in our lives, whatever it is we're facing, or you can choose to believe in what God says, let not your hearts be troubled. The choice is yours. That, that, that believing in good God's goodness, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult Sometimes it's hard to believe in God's sovereignty, his control, and it's hard to believe in his goodness. And here's the thing, and, and I recognize this might be mildly controversial. It's one thing to believe in Jesus for salvation, right? He, he's our place of salvation. Um, but belief in Jesus is so much more than just a golden ticket to get into heaven. Like what it truly means to believe in Jesus is more than just your ticket for the afterlife. That the good news of Jesus is available today in any situation we face, that we have the opportunity to believe in God's goodness today. And here's why, because Jesus, where he goes, hey, I'm about to head out. Guys, I'm gonna leave you but I got a place that I'm gonna go prepare for you and it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna knock your socks off. I'm gonna go get it ready. So when you get there, we're gonna have some fun together. And I don't know about you, but that's some good news right there. Like that's gonna be an amazing place. It's gonna be an awesome time. But this cannot be the center point of our faith. Heaven's going to be great. Great. But it's not the center of our belief. Jesus is. Yes, we have that to look forward to. But believing in Jesus gives us purpose for our lives today. Trusting in God's goodness is available today. We don't have to wait until we die to have access to this hope today. The gospel is so much more than just going to heaven. You know, he, he, he continues on. He says, and you know, the way to where I'm going, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then verse six, famous verse, if you haven't memorized, you're welcome to say it out loud. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. You know, I love the fact that God chose common, ordinary people to proclaim his message to the world. To do immeasurable things through just ordinary people like you, like me, and like these disciples. And I'll be honest, I think it's easy to read this book and and see the disciples in some of these moments and be like, man, are you all the apple dumpling gang? Like, why can't you figure this out? But I think in reality, God did that on purpose to show us a little bit about ourselves. Now, they had Jesus in the room. They saw face-to-face his miracles, and yet they still wrestled with what it means to believe. And especially this guy, right? Thomas, I think Thomas, Thomas gets a poor rap. You know, doubting Thomas, I mean, that's his name. But at the end of the day, Thomas was at least brave enough to say what we would have been thinking in the moment. And I'm so glad that he did because verse six is so powerful. Verse six is so freeing. And yet it might be one of the most controversial statements ever spoken. I am the way, the truth, the life, the center point of our faith. Like, I'm not sure there's a more divisive sentence ever. This one verse is responsible for the deaths of many. This one verse has divided families, countries, and churches And the list goes on and on and on, especially today, a day where our culture and our world likes to to live in ambiguity. We love the gray area, and we tend to stray more and more away from the black and white. But this verse has to be divisive for good reason. Jesus said, the road is wide that leads to death, and the gate is narrow that leads to life. It's not a bunch of paths that lead to God like the universalist would teach. Jesus isn't just a prophet like Islam would teach. Jesus isn't just one of many gods like Hinduism would teach. Nor is he just a good man with some nice things to say. He is the way. It's singular. Either Jesus is everything or he's nothing at all. There's no middle ground. And yet... And this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. This is what I love. As divisive as this one verse is, it's also the most inclusive. Because the gospel says that all are welcome at the foot of the cross. That no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, there's nothing you could have done to disqualify yourself from God's grace. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter what culture, what country, what color, what race, nothing, nothing can disqualify. You all are welcome at the foot of the cross. And there's no other religion. There's no other system of belief. There's no other little G God that can say that. You know, I, um, I was blessed with an incredible opportunity to go to India for, um, for a little while, for a few weeks. And, um, if you've never been on a short-term trip, you just got to do it. It, it will rock your world. It's incredible. But, um, I go over there and I was having a conversation with a guy and he's Hindu and, uh, incredible conversation. And, and I don't know if you know much about Hinduism. They're, they're polytheists. So they believe in many gods, like thousands and thousands of gods that they worship. And he said, he said to me, he said, well, isn't it, isn't it a bit dogmatic to be a Christian? He used this word dogmatic. Honestly, I had to look it up what it means because I didn't really know. And and it kind of carries a negative connotation. But once I looked it up, I absolutely agreed with him because it's more or less absolute truth. There's no gray area in the gospel. You know, it's just like two plus two is always going to equal four. You know, they can invent new ways of doing math. But at the end of the day, two plus two is four. Like it's not going to change. It's not your truth versus my truth. Where things get messy is when we want to debate over what is truth and what isn't. And it's, and it's no different now than it was back then. You know, there's this, um, this powerful moment. You know, you fast forward a little bit in John 18 between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. You know, Pontius Pilate was like the governor um, that was over Jerusalem. He was like the Roman official. And, and more or less, he's the one that can either set Jesus free or kill him. And there's an incredible exchange that happens. It, it kind of talks about this. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Well, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? I mean, I found that to be such an insightful three words. What is truth? How would you answer that? Especially in a world that, again, loves ambiguity, a world that likes to swim in the ocean of theory, of ideas, of speculation and hopes, rather than standing on the solid ground of truth. And again, when it comes back to this idea of belief, this is absolutely crucial because what you believe in as truth ultimately drives the actions and responses of your life. Because again, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, or he's nothing. You know, I, I love how C.S. Lewis, a, a, an incredible author, he, he created a thing called the trilemma, which try, you know, there's three hearts um, and then dilemma. So I put the two together, pretty crafty, but it's called the trilemma. And it's simply this, that, that no matter what you believe about Jesus, he has to fit in one of three categories. That either Jesus is a liar, either he's a liar, either Jesus is a lunatic, or Jesus is Lord. All roads lead to those three You have to see him in light of that. So for somebody that would say, wow, Jesus, he was a good man. He was a good guy. He said some nice things, did some good things. He was good, but this whole thing about him being God, I, I don't know about that, but he was a good man. Well, Jesus said he was God. So that would make him a liar. Well, if he's a liar, is he a good man? No. In John 6, He's talking to some people and he looks at them and he's like, Hey, y'all want to follow me? You're going to have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And Oh yeah, you're going to have to hang yourself on a cross. Like there ain't nobody that said that to me, but if he wasn't Lord, that would make him a lunatic. Or the last category is Jesus is in fact, Lord. He is the way, the truth. The life you know we carried on in 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 john 14 in verse 8 philip philip said to him lord show us the father and it's enough for us jesus said to him have i been with you so long you still don't know me philip whoever has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And yet again, we find ourselves looking in the mirror of the disciples. Has anyone ever needed God to prove something to them? Hey God, if you just reveal yourself to me show me that you're real god if if you'll just heal this person or if you'll get me that job then then i'll believe that you're real god if you just get me home or how many of us have had blueberries and cherries in our rearview mirror god if you just get me out of this ticket like god we need you to prove something i mean what is it for you what is it that god needs to show to show himself as truth is his word enough Because again, belief in Jesus is a choice each and every day with every situation along the way. And yes, that rhymes. Belief is a choice. Belief is a choice in each and every day, in each and every situation that comes our way. And and I'm just going to be real with y'all because we're friends. We've had a good 20 minutes together, 15 minutes, whatever it is. I don't have this figured out as I started out with, this is something God's been challenging my heart with and what it means to believe in him. And if I'm honest, there's moments where I doubt God. I don't doubt that he exists, but I doubt in what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. There's times that I get stressed. I get anxious. I get worried I mean, at the end of the day, there are times where I try to control things because I doubt that God can handle it. And at the end of the day, when I respond in those ways, what I'm showing God is what I truly believe about God. But you know, the beautiful thing is all along, even amidst all of that, there is a God above that says, trust me just like he responded to Philip, believe in me, believe in my words, believe in what you've seen, believe that you are more than a conqueror through Jesus. Believe that there is no temptation that can overtake you. Believe that you can have peace in me. Believe that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just believe. Belief drives action. Belief drives our response. And so let me ask you, what, what is that for you? What is that for you? What's an area that you're struggling to believe? Do you trust God is in control? Do you trust God is sovereign? Do you trust God is good? Because if you do, how is your life reflecting those beliefs? And it's absolutely crucial because there is a watching world that is waiting for the church to truly reflect what they believe. It's time for us to have a confidence in what God, who God is and what he says he can do. To quit spending time in empty prayers and knocking on wood and believing in karma or living in fear or worry and just trust that God is in control and God is good. And and so I want to bring it in as we as we kind of wrap things up. You know, John 14, I, I love that Jesus, he, he, he didn't just bring us here to drop us off. He saves the best for last. And and that's one of the, the most powerful aspects about John fourteen is this passing of the torch. It's this moment where him and his boys, they've been walking around for three years and now he's about to hand it to them to say, now it's your turn. It's the culmination of his three years of ministry in this moment to show, look, here's what you've seen. Here's what you've experienced. Now here's the purpose for your lives. In verse 12, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, Believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That whoever believes will do the works that I do. Whoever believes will do the works that I do. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly hard and convicting because I don't know that when somebody looks at me and looks at my life, they see Jesus. I mean, maybe they do with you. I don't know, but I'm a far cry from doing the works that Jesus did. But when we live a life out of our belief, we live more and more like Jesus every day. Because the gospel message, again, it's so much more than just saying a prayer and waiting to go to heaven. The gospel message is about bringing God's kingdom. It's about bringing heaven to earth and how we love and how we live and how we serve others because that's what Jesus did. Belief drives action. And look, Jesus is coming back. He is. We're in the last days. We have been since he ascended to the father. So quit trying to figure out when. When? And you know what? Yeah, heaven's going to be pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. But we got to be careful to not be so focused on heaven that we lose sight of what's available for us today. Heaven is not the sole purpose of our salvation. There is so much more in store. But we have to choose to believe God for greater things. Now, you know I. I thought about greater things and you look at what Jesus accomplished in his three years. And I believe God's word is truth, but for Jesus to say, you're going to do greater things is a little bit mind blowing, but this is what he's pointing to. I want to put a number up here for you. 3.2 billion, 3.2 billion. It's a big number. I don't know that I could count that high. That's the amount of people that are technically unreached in our world today. That's not the amount of people that separated from Jesus. That's the amount of people that are considered unreached. And so they don't have access to someone to even share the gospel with them. I think sometimes here in America, we assume every country is like us. And we got churches on every, on every corner. That's not the case. And so for, for the church, if, if all the church is focused on is heaven. If all the church is focused on is, well, Jesus, hurry up and come back. What happens to them? What about them that haven't heard? Now, I recognize that number can seem like, wow, it's like a bajillion, gazillion. It seems almost, it's so big, it's almost fake. So let me bring it in a little bit. The next number, 370,593. So the latest studies I could find, Volusia County is 553,248 people. Out of that, 33.2% consider them in a religion focused on Jesus. So by those numbers, that means there's 370,593 people who do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ in our backyard. 370,000 people in Volusia County. That's insane. But I get still a big number. Let me drill down a little bit further. 28,110 The city of Ormond Beach is 42,080 people. And by the same studies, that means there are 28,110 people in our backyard that do not know Jesus. 28,110 people that are our coworkers, that are our neighbors, that are our friends, that are our family, What about them? If all we're focused on is getting out of this dumpster fire and going to heaven, what about them? Who's going to share the news with them? What happens to them if all we're doing is praying for Jesus to come back and get us out of here? What happens to them? You know, I think sometimes we can be guilty of fixating so much on heaven and Jesus coming back, that we lose sight of what God's asked us to do today, greater things. That's pretty great. I don't want Jesus to come back because we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. And God gave us His Spirit to accomplish it. He didn't just give us a work order with no help. We've got the Spirit that lives within This is the greater things. Jesus said it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that with his spirit we can do greater things? Belief drives action. Look, church, Jesus is coming. He is. But until he gets here, this is our time, this is our town, and these are our people. Let's be a bold church that gets out of this building and into our community that reflects what we believe. Belief leads to action. God said it. Do we believe it? Do you believe that the hope of Jesus Christ is for everyone? Then let's get out there and show it. This is our time. God, I just thank you. I thank you for the richness of your word you know i i thank you god that that you would use people like us god for your mission just like the disciples god you use common ordinary people to do extraordinary things and so god we are your church we are your people god empower us lead us to those that are lost Give us strength and confidence in the truth we believe in that lead us to respond in light of that, that lead us to to show those to the world, to respond to the world, to serve and to love those to you. And God, you didn't just leave us here. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives that that you would awaken us to come alive to this. That 28,110 is nothing for you much less 370,000, much less 3.2 billion because God, you know every name. And so God, thank you for your desire to use us. God, lead and guide our past, lead and guide our church, that God, we can shine your light, that we can make a difference. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.